My guests today, Tim and Brenda Harder, farmers in Kansas, have found a creative way to effectively use their time in their car during their many trips to their church each week. The drive to church is actually a 40-minute drive each way. This tradition started decades ago when their children were young. This drive-time tradition for these now empty nesters still continues. How productively do you use your drive time to church? Welcome. This is the Unconventional Ministry Podcast, where the conversation is about fresh ideas in ministry, innovative approaches, and collaborative efforts. I'm your host, Dennis Weens, Vice President for Ministry Partnerships at SAT7 USA. My guests are Tim and Brenda Harder, farmers in Kansas. And Sunday morning, as I was getting ready for church, Brenda sent me a text from their car. And here's what the text said. We just finished reading the book, Dare to Believe, on the many trips to church. What an amazing journey for Sat7. What a book of the full history packed with details. Take me back to that ride, your drive to church on Sunday morning and this book you're reading? Well, it's about a 40-minute drive to church um, every Sunday morning, Wednesday night, sometimes Sunday nights. This is Tim's home church that we attend, that he grew up. So it's a long ride, and we just enjoy reading. Now, most people would turn on the radio, listen to the radio, or they put a DVD in, especially if there's people in the back seat. But uh, this innovative way to read books, you read books on the way to church, right? Right. It started back when our kids were pretty little. And we would get um, books that we wanted to read to them. And that's always such a hard time to get everybody together to read. And so we thought, well, this is a valuable time to to read into the lives of our children. So we started just started reading books. Then we went through many, many, many books. So could the children pick books they wanted you to read to them? Or do you pick the books or did you pick the books that you wanted to read to them? No, most of the time it was books we wanted to read to them. Yeah. Now I have another question. Uh, Tim, did you sometimes let Brenda drive so you could read? <laughs> Uh, and that didn't happen very often. No. So, Brenda, this is kind of the thing you did with the kids as they grew up. Of course, they've been out, out of the house now for quite a while. And uh, you kept picking up books you wanted to read to Tim. No, not necessarily. Often Tim would hear something on the radio, too. And he'd come home and say, I heard about this good book on the radio. And so we'd look it up, get it and read it. So no, it wasn't just ones that I wanted to read to, to him, but it went both ways. Yeah. Quite often, some friends would uh, suggest a book that they had written, read and uh, tell us these are some good books to read. And, and that's where we got some of our books. Uh, quite often when the children were younger, we'd uh, read different uh, children's books. Uh, that would interest them. And then then we got into reading more missionary biographies, stories about different missionaries and the work that they were doing. And uh, that was always very interesting, especially a couple of times 
uh, here lately, we've read some uh, books of missionaries that grew up in our church. So that was extra special to read about what they did and knowing that they came from some of our family or, or some relatives in our church. And that was very special. And yeah, it, very interesting. And and 40 minute drive to church, and that's each way. And then you probably have multiple trips each week over several decades. You guys have read a lot of books. Yeah, I wish I would have written them all down. But I didn't. That was one list I never made. <laughs> But, right. And and if the book got really good, the kids would beg that it had to come in from the car. And it would come in then and we'd read sometimes after supper in the evenings. But that was a very special book then. I want to encourage those that are listening that if you have a unique habit, an innovative way of accomplishing a task like reading a book, uh, put it in the comments or let us know. Uh, we want to know some of your other innovative ways of reading books or something else you do to accomplish a task that'd be very interesting. And so give us some likes, give us some comments, and then uh, share this idea because uh, there's a lot of people that drive quite a distance. And rather than just turn on the radio, uh, why not read something that will help you learn uh, something new about another part of the world, uh, a biography or some spiritual application to your life. So very, very good. Now, this book you were reading and you finished on Sunday, which book was that? It was Dare to Believe. It was probably one of the biggest books we've read in a long time. So it took quite you a know, while. <laughs> we've encouraged our founder, uh, Terry Ascott, to write the history of Sat7, and he finally wrote it. It's called Dare to Believe. You read the story. And as I remember, he one day sent a message saying, uh, I've written 95,000 words. When do I stop? There's so much history, so many relationships, so many partnerships to write about. But, um, yeah, it's a, it's a book uh, packed full of stories and detail. Yes. And before that book, we read uh, Women at Risk that you had also given oh, yes. us. That was an By excellent. By Tom Doyle. Yes. That was also an excellent book. So I think that spurred us on to wanting to read this book then, too. So, Very good. Yeah. I was at NRB, and I, uh, I gave that book to one of the partners from Europe, and he was taking the book back, taking everything he back, back with him to Europe uh, in his hand luggage. And he, I gave him the book, and he said, boy, this is a heavy book. I said, <laughs> well, it's not just 45,000 words. It's 95,000 a word. So it's a lot, a lot of packed in a few pages there. So very yeah. good. So what are, what are some things that stood out to you as you read that book? You don't have to get into details, but what are some uh, highlights that you learned from that book? Well, I was impressed with how many countries in the Arab world where these programs are reaching the people and lots of, lots and lots of children are hearing uh, the programs and which in, in uh, roundabout a way, brings in the, the, the adults, the, the parents, and then they hear it too, and then they grow up, and, and it takes part in their life, and it changes their life uh, for the rest of their life. And so um, uh, I was very much amazed how uh, the, all these programs are going out to, to many countries that are very hard to reach and hard to get into, and yet the right. airwaves are open, 
and everybody has satellite dishes and everybody has a TV and it's, it's a tremendous way that uh, God has given us to reach so many people in a hard locations. Yeah. There's no closed, uh, closed areas anymore because they can close boundaries and borders, but they can't, can't close people's hearts. And we can go right into living rooms. We can go right into smart devices and phones and, uh, iPads, uh, uncensored, uh, with the message. It's, it's amazing. And the countries that we really focus on are the 25 countries of the middle East, uh, the Arab countries, of course, and then Turkish countries. And then of course, the Farsi speaking, uh, uh, Iran, Afghanistan, and then of course, up into Tajikistan. So about 25 countries within the footprint of sat seven. So dare to believe what are some other things that maybe stood out as you read this book? I couldn't believe all the details that he wrote, the, how he remembered everything from the from day one on. It just was filled with details. What a book of history of how Sat7 started and, and then the technology it took to run this. You know, we think you just throw a switch on and, and you're on air. <laughs> you know, technology is great when it works, but it takes a lot to, and we appreciate our I-team that make it all happen. And, uh, everybody's waiting for that program the next day. So it all comes together from the production side to the uplink facilities out play out to the satellites mm-hmm. and then people tuning it in. And how so many- if you're interested in, if you're interested in getting this book, dare to believe it's written by Dr. Terrence Ascot, and he has a website, www.terence. A-S-C-O-T-T.com, TerrenceAscott.com. And you have resources there and books, and uh, there'll be some video clips as well to learn more about this book and um, some of the amazing stories and partnerships and detail of the story of Sat7, a Middle East broadcast media ministry, making a real difference across the Middle East and North Africa. It was interesting to see all the answers to prayer, things, how God lined things up and brought the right people at the right time and brought uh, many people uh, prompted many people to give, to make it all possible. And it just, it's a huge puzzle and it was interesting to see how God orchestrated so many little details that were all very important. And in the beginning, everybody said 25 years ago, it's impossible. It's a bad idea. But Terry believed so much in this vision that God had given him. He put together a board in the Middle East. He he borrowed some cameras. He had people write scripts. He put it together, and Sat7 began to grow. And it's a, been amazing, the growth. And we appreciate all the people that have stewarded resources, and that's resources of time and prayer and finances and legacy gifts uh, to make this happen. And it's amazing now, just listening today across the Middle East and some of the exciting ways that uh, Sat7 is uh, amplifying the voice of the church in hard-to-reach areas and places that we can disciple isolated believers in communities. Uh, It's really an amazing story. So you'll enjoy that book if you pick up Dare to Believe, and it's uh, on Amazon as well. Uh, You folks are farmers, and I was looking up uh, farmers in Kansas. And I read some facts here. One farmer, a Kansas farmer, raises enough food to feed 155 people. Now, I don't know if that's a recent statistic. It's off the Kansas website. I read another one. All the wheat grown in Kansas in a single year would fit in a train stretching from western Kansas to the Atlantic Ocean. That's one long train. 
And then another thing I read in Kansas, the cows outnumber people two to one. So you have 3 million people, but you have 6 million cattle. And I know some of those cattle are on your property. Yeah, we, uh, we raise cattle. We have a lot of pasture where we um, uh, graze cattle out in, the, out in the pasture. And each summer and each winter, we buy them and, and raise them through the summer. And then we also um, uh, plant and raise corn and soybeans that we harvest for grain. And we also have uh, uh, a bunch of hogs that we feed out. So there's a bunch of different things that we keep busy doing. Yes. And, you know, most of us listen to the news and we hear some uh, real little about farm news and stuff. But what what are the challenges for a couple like you there in in central Kansas? What are some of the challenges you face as a farmer today? Well, just like in a lot of technology, there's a lot of new technology coming in farming and it changes so much and it's hard to keep up with everything uh, that's uh, changing and keep up with the newest stuff and, and make it applicable, useful in our farming. So we're thankful for our son <laughs> who knows the technology more than we do. So you go to the computer to know how to fertilize the fields and uh, a lot of it is computer driven nowadays. Uh, yeah, uh, we have GPS on our tractors that guide our uh, tractors while we're planting and spraying. And the uh, GPS also helps um, turn the uh, sprayer on and off for fertilizing and to, for our weed control. And so that um, there's a lot going on there that uh, makes it a lot easier. Once you get everything working, then it works out real good. Very good. So it's a lot different than when your folks were farming. Yes. Yeah, that, that part has, has really changed a lot. This year, last year or so, things have really changed, too, with everything being shut down, hard to get things. It's been hard this year to secure all the needed chemicals for our weed control and fertilizers for our, our upcoming uh, crop. And so it's it's not only has it been hard to get, but it's um, been very uh, expensive. The price of it has doubled and tripled, and, and a lot of it you just can't get. And so it really makes it hard to find it and uh, try to get it all paid for in, in a timely manner. Very good. I know in that text message you sent me Sunday, you said on your many trips to church, uh, you guys have been very involved in your local church. Talk to us a little bit about some of the different ways you've served uh, your leaders in the church um, and they're at uh, Emmaus Mennonite Church. Correct. We're, we've been on the missions committee for eight years. Um, that's been a good um, time that we've served on it. Uh, we've worked with a lot of missionaries doing missions conference, uh, missions banquet, where we've tried to involve family, the whole family in um, learning about missions. But Mainly our goal is to encourage people in our church to consider missions as a full-time occupation. That's um, one thing we're always looking for is who can we encourage to push into the mission field. But it's also to care for our missionaries, too. We, we, we support quite a few missionaries from our church, so we want to 
make sure that they are taken care of when they come home, that, um, that their needs are met, encourage them. So when they come home, we, our committee will meet with them and just uh, see what, how we can help them and encourage them. We also, we also help good. our church family to hear about our missionaries through different reports. We encourage them to, to pray for them and support them and to meet with them, invite them into their homes and find out more about them. Yeah, I know your church places a real value on ministry and uh, the missionary movement. And so we really appreciate churches like yours and folks like yourselves. I know, Brenda, your dad was um, a real advocate for SAT7. And I'm sure you learned your generosity and legacy from your father and, and mother and how they farmed and how they gave to their local church and how they uh, instilled that in the daughters and how you're still instilling that now in your children. Yes, my dad loved Sat7. He, till he died, he was talking about it. He, I think he really felt that was the up and coming number one ministry. And he was very much prayed for you guys. And so we saw that too, by example, but yeah, you know, I was, thinking about that as to how did they instill values in us? Well, in our meager allowances, always 10% went to tithing, you know, to our missionaries. That was just part of what we did as we grew up. And we saw our folks, you know, give to missions all the time. I think it just was instilled in us. It was a value we saw in them and wanted to continue. Well, very good. And if you want to learn more about SAT7, you can go to our website, sat7usa.org. That's S-A-T, number seven, USA.org, to learn more about the ministry of SAT7 and also to find ways that you can be more involved through prayer, giving, uh, legacy, uh, encouraging others as well. Tim, you were going to say something. I interrupted you. Well, I remember both my grandparents were very involved in supporting missionaries and the work that they were doing and that influenced my parents to do the same and when i was growing up i remember my uh, folks inviting many missionary families to our home and part of um, during our family devotions quite often we would uh, read a the current missionary prayer letter that we would get in the mail uh, during that time and then pray for them and so um, and then i knew too that folks were giving uh, a lot to different missionaries and that was very important to them. And it just really rubbed off on us kids as we were growing up. Very good. And I thank you for joining this unconventional ministry podcast. You have an innovative way of reading books and we wanted to share that. And if you're listening, uh, share with us your innovative way of accomplishing a task or fresh approach to a challenge or ministry. Uh, let us know. And if you'd like to be on the podcast, let me know. I'm always looking for those uh, unconventional ministry uh, ideas that different ones have. So get in contact with me as well. Well, Tim and Brenda, this has been a great conversation. Uh, very interesting idea as you drive to church, uh, not turning on the radio, but reading a book that uh, you learn from and can apply different things to your own life as well. So thank you for joining us on this podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Very good. Thanks again. In our changing world, there are more ways than ever to do ministry. SAT7 as a broadcast media ministry is changing how ministry is done. 
Through innovative approaches, collaborative efforts, broadcast satellite television, web streaming, and social media, SAT7 is making a difference. Visit SAT7 online today at sat7usa.org to learn ways you can be a part of this kingdom work. If you've enjoyed this conversation, please share it with your friends. If you know of an unconventional ministry approach, please introduce us. We'd like to have them on as guests. Thank you again for joining this episode of the Unconventional Ministry Podcast. Thank you.